What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Van Chats on the Out of Bounds Network. If you're new to this podcast, thank you so much for clicking on this episode and tuning in with us. It's going to be a great one. And if you are a reoccurring listener, thank you again for listening to us week after week. I really appreciate it. If you haven't already, please make sure you hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review as it helps us out quite a bit. But anyways, let's go ahead and dive into this week's episode with Meredith Miller. Meredith Miller comes from a pro cycling background of cyclocross to road. She's represented the U.S. I think in nine world championships or something crazy like that. She's ran her own team. She's been a part of some of the biggest women pro teams out there. And now she's working in the industry. And we sit down, we chat about her working in the industry. We talk about sponsorship. We talk about her new van life that she's putting together with her husband. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. But let's go ahead and dive into this week's episode. But first, let's hear a quick message from the sponsors. Back for another episode this week. Spot is here to cover you. So Spot is covering all your medical needs up to $20,000 per injury. Spot will cover your actual out-of-pocket costs instead of a fixed fee. In a world where many people are under or uninsured with sky-high deductibles, Spot fills that gap that the outdoor space is sorely lacking. Spot has no deductible and is a monthly subscription, can be canceled at any time. Spot works whether you have health insurance or not. While Spot works with and covers a lot of cyclists and mountain bikers, Spot policy covers you 24-7 whether you are ripping a crit, skiing a black diamond, chopping your food in your kitchen, or even climbing Mount Everest. So check out Spot at croom.getspot.com. That's croom.getspot.com. Also back for another week, that's Twisted Spoke CBD. Guys, if you haven't checked out Twisted Spoke CBD yet, I don't know what you're doing. Um, they got some of the best CBD on the market here out of Colorado Springs, Colorado, and it's ran by a couple of cyclists. So they know what they're doing. They make sure they take care of you and they know what we need. So go check them out at twistedspokecbd.com. That's twistedspokecbd.com for your CBD needs. So let's go ahead and dive into this week's episode with Meredith Miller. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Van Chats on the Out of Bounds Network. I am sitting here with cyclocross legend, uh, road legend, and that is Meredith Miller. How are you doing, Meredith? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just laughing, though, when you call me legend because that be legend? Legend is so far from. No, no, <laughs> like here's the thing. I was the reason why I can call you a legend is because I didn't understand how big of a deal like unbound or DK really was until this year. And that is when we were at the start line and they called all your names up and that was legendary status. I thought. And so to me, any of those people that were called to that front line that day is a legend in my books. Um, (laughs) You can be as, you can be as humble as you want, but anyways, so we're, we're on the out of bounds network, which is like a ski cycling adventure sports, podcast network um so some people might not know who you are and you you know you being humble you're probably like no one really knows who i am but we do know who you are (laughs) but give us a little bit of background of who meredith is and where she got started into cycling i mean like i said you've represented our country in one two three four at least five world championships one of those being on the road and the rest of them being in cyclocross so yeah give us give us a little bit of background on you Sure. So uh, to rewind quite a few years, couple decades to be exact, 
Um, I got my start in cycling after, right after graduating from college. So I went to university of Wisconsin in Madison where I played soccer. Cool. And when I graduated, you can do the math in 96, for my age, right now, um, I was born in 1993. So I was three years old. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm not trying to show oh your age God. at all. I'm just, I'm just, yeah, to... right. kids. <laughs> kids. Yeah. Um, so when I graduated in 96, oh my God, um, there, <laughs> there was no women's pro soccer league at the time. Yeah. And I really didn't have a lot of options to continue playing at the elite level. So my boyfriend at the time had uh, gotten into cycling because of a stress fracture from running. And so I had seen him racing and stuff and graduated and was like, well, I've been an athlete my whole life. I have to do another sport. What is that going to be? I had seen some of his races and stuff. And Madison is an incredibly friendly bike town. Um, you know, it's got like what is it? I forget what the different categories are like uh platinum level or whatever for bike friendly town. Yeah. Um, and I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh yeah. 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 Oh. If you go to All like, right. I don't, I think people for bikes or somebody does that, but okay, you know, based cool. on the infrastructure and all that kind of stuff. Um, so there used to be a bike swap, uh, that would, I think it was in, it was in Madison or Milwaukee, but a huge bike swap from like the team Timex Cannondale, whatever, all of those Tom Schuler used to kind of host that. And, um, and so I was able to get some parts and a bike and everything from that. And, um, you know, had some friends kind of help me put it together, joined this women's club team that also had a separate race team. So I joined that club slash team to start racing bikes. I was, maybe one of the more rare people who wasn't riding bikes. And someone said, you know, you're actually pretty strong. You should try racing. I literally got a bike to start racing and I knew nothing. I didn't know what the tour was. I didn't like Eddie Merckx, whoever, all these famous people couldn't have told you a thing about cycling and just jumped right in and, you know, started doing just local practice crits and stuff around Madison. Um, and so really kind of started racing in 98 and, you know, did a kind of half a season there, moved from Wisconsin to California to the Bay area, um, started racing there and realized, Oh, wow, that this is kind of a serious deal like people actually do this year round they join these big teams maybe even make a little money or they get free stuff i don't know um so i was going to grad school uh at the time and um so my my grad school career ended up being four years because i started racing and actually eventually started traveling and you know kind of was like oh wow this is awesome um and then after four years in california moved to Denmark, um, with my ex-husband, who was doing a postdoc in Copenhagen, was able to join a women's team there. And that's when I started racing full-time. So in 2003 is when I started racing full-time. I don't like to say that's when I turned pro because I wasn't getting paid. So to me, that's like, I, yeah. So when did you Um, turn pro? Well, I mean, I still feel like saying pro is, is a hard, I mean, it's becoming easier to say in women's cycling now, but to me, pro is like, at what point are you able to, um, live off of your own income? I would, I'd never would have really been able to do that. We've had this conversation. We've had this conversation on the podcast before. And I think it, 
I honestly think it comes in, I'm not trying to go back to your age, but I think it becomes to the generational side of things. And the reason oh, why yeah. I say that is because there was a lot of, because there were some people back in the day making bank off being sure. quote unquote sure. pro. Whereas now, oh, yeah. I mean, there's pro riders with the license that, I mean, yeah. I've done one mountain yeah. bike race and that's Leadville and I have, a, I have my pro mountain bike license. Um, right. Right. And and it, so yeah. and so it's a question mark, but there's pro riders that are paying their way to be on a professional continental team. Um 100%. like paying the team like five grand. Yeah. And yeah. so it's yeah. it's it's yeah. wild to me. But so was there ever a point that you were making a livable wage or can I ask that? I don't know if that's appropriate. Am I asking? Oh that? no, that's fine. Okay. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So so after a couple of year uh three years on my this Danish team, I yeah. ended up coming back. Well, so moved from Copenhagen to Auckland and was in, in New Zealand for a few years, but still racing overseas or and then eventually came back to the US. And that's when I joined Team Lipton. And that was the first time I actually started receiving a stipend. We were okay. still considered a professional women's team, but we got free equipment and gear and, you know, I, I got a small stipend. It wasn't probably until I was started racing cross. So like I raced road for 10 years exclusively before I, I ever jumped on a cross bike. Yeah. And then for the first six years I was doing road and cross, you know, year round. So hardly ever got a break. And, and once I had two different contracts, then I was making more money, you know, from the two different contracts, but it still would have been hard to have lived on my own. You know, if I didn't have the support from my ex-husband and, and, and I've then got remarried, um, you know, and from my husband now, like that probably not, it wouldn't have been possible, certainly not living in Fort Collins where I first lived when I moved to Colorado or, you know, Boulder. Anywhere so. in Colorado for that matter, unless you're living on yeah. Yeah. ELM land or something like that. Um, <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm looking because it's it's funny too because that you make that mention and then you look at your Wikipedia and it's like oh yeah in 2009 she went to the Road World Championships and then in 2010 2011 2012 2013 she went to the UCI 14, cyclocross 15, 16 yeah, yeah oh, so wow. I actually went to road to Road World so 2009 was the year that I won Road Nationals yeah so I guess I got that automatic selection to go to Road Worlds. And then I went to uh, to cyclocross worlds every year, except for my first year racing mm -hmm. cross and I raced cross for eight years. So did seven years at the, at the cross worlds and then one year at road worlds. Wow. And, but I think that's where you made the comment though. It's like, I didn't start seeing real money until cyclocross and it's like, well, I, like I can see it, <laughs> you know, yeah. you end up at, at a world championship almost every year after that. Um, yeah. and so, and so it's interesting kind of, kind of playing that game and, and, and wondering about that. And so, so yeah, um, I guess diving back into a little bit about you. So you get into cycle cross and, and so you're racing year round. Um, mm -hmm. how was it like managing all that? <laughs> it was, well, it was hard, but it was, I mean, I did that for six years and then finally I was like, okay, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I got to pick one or the other, but initially it was pretty awesome. It was being here in Colorado. It can get cold and snowy and, you know, as you know, in the winter. So it was kind of an alternative to just cross with an alternative to sitting on a trainer yeah, um, or, you know, 
just going out and doing long, harsh, cold rides. Uh, so it was a nice way to kind of just change it up through the winter. And I, so that first year I got into cross, I had no idea what I was doing. Cross for me was like road in the beginning. Like when I started cross, I knew nothing. I literally, uh, you know, did a couple of rides with some friends who taught me how to dismount maybe a few weeks out from doing cross Vegas, which was my first ever race. And, but then cross Vegas is what catapulted me into doing it like full time because I got done with that race and was like, holy shit, that was so much fun. Like, oh my God, I was grinning ear to ear. And I, at cross Vegas, I was racing for my road team, which at the time was Aaron's and they didn't have the budget to help me you know, get to any more cross races. So they sort of, so my director at the time, Carmen Deluzio reached out to another specialized team out of California, Cal giant, mm-hmm. uh, very fun. And Anthony Galino, uh, was running that team and, and, you know, they were specialized teams. So she had asked, Hey, you know, would you have room for Meredith to join the team? And fortunately for me, Anthony had a space and brought me into the team. And I ended up staying with Cal giant for six years and traveled all over the world with them. And, um, you know, and it was, it was phenomenal. And, but so that, that like racing and training for cross in the winter was just nice. You know, it sucks sitting on a bike for hours in the winter when you're all bundled up and you got to take extra gloves with you because your hands get cold halfway through whatever. So it was, um, it was, like I said, I didn't know what I was, what to expect when I started and it turned out to be just so much fun. And my career on the road had been really more of a, as a domestique or my, my role on the road was more of a domestique, you know, sport rider. So with cross, you know, it's more opportunistic, you know, to individuals. And so I was able to race for myself and not that I necessarily needed that, but it, but it, I was like, Oh wow, this is kind of cool. I can just do what I want. And I don't have to worry about anyone else, but me and, you know, had some good success. And so, you know, and realized that actually for the first few years, few years came into the road season also really strong. So it was just kind of, you know, I'd go from cross season into road strong road season into cross strong. And eventually, you know, that all caught up with me and, you know, I, I couldn't do both at the, at the, you know, year round anymore. So when in did 2013, that happen? 2013? Okay. so 2013, so I raced for Tibco on the road from 2009 to 13. Yeah. And with Tibco in 2013, I decided like, okay, this is my last season as of, full-time pro roadie. Um, and then 2014 and 15 is when I started, um, Noosa cyclocross with my teammate, Alan Krugoff. And I'm the type Great of rider yogurt. though. Who, like, Great yogurt, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm the type of rider who I trained a race, not mm-hmm. race to train, you know, so it's like, I, I, I'm not very good at just going out and, you know, doing intervals and only peaking for a handful of races, you know, in a season. So I wanted to, I needed to keep racing on the road and to keep my motivation and fitness and everything up. So I ended up racing a little bit in 2013 and 14 on, uh, sorry, 14 and 15 with Pepper Palace. Mm-hmm. Just we'd go to some crits and, you know, did a few road races here and there. And that was, um, you know, so that wasn't like on a pro contract or anything that was more just, kind of a side thing 
just to yeah. keep me, like I said, motivated for, for the cross season. Cause at that time cross was definitely my focus. Yeah. And that's, that's around the time that like cross was booming. So I lived in Asheville around the time, um, pepper palette that around that time with pepper palace oh, yeah. and happy tooth. And so yeah. I think that's where they yeah. were based out of, um, and, but that's like when the Jeremy powers movement, like brought these American eyes to cycle cross. Yeah. And yeah. as funny as it sounds, I really felt like it was pretty inclusive and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I felt like it was pretty inclusive, like with the, the kind of media that not only the men were getting, but the women were getting, I guess, like the women, mm -hmm. like women's cycle cross mm -hmm. was just as popular as the men's cycle cross. Whereas I felt like even still to this day in the road cycling, for some reason, people can't catch on to the fact of women cycling and, and respect it. And it, it really breaks yeah. my heart. But I mean, especially with the recent yeah. comments from the guy from quick step, but, um, oh. but yeah, I think, you know, I, I think, you know, where, where did you kind of hit that lull of like, okay, Meredith, you know, your competitive body. I mean, you started, you had this boyfriend or whatever that rode a bike and you were like, he, he, he raced and had fun, but I doubt he went and bought a bike and was like, I'm going to race. And I, I coach for a living and you probably have worked with athletes and mm -hmm. nobody has ever come up to me and been like, I want to start racing. And they just go out and buy a bike and start racing. So I, I can imagine it was a hard point for you to go, I'm going to quit, but I, I need to quit. So when that path came, how did it come? I want the good, the bad, the indifferent. And what, what yeah. was that like? I guess when, when Meredith Miller decided to hang it up, cause you didn't do a good job at it. And I don't, it's, it's around people, your generation, they suck at it in the sense of like, I mean, you have Phil Guyman deciding to do a whole series on it. You have Ted King, who's now the king of gravel. And so, right? <laughs> I mean, here, even in retirement, she's been busy. She won Grinduro in 2016, followed up by a fifth at a local cyclocross race that's literally in quotes <laughs> the u.s open of cyclocross in boulder so oh, what yeah. are you doing <laughs> i know i know yeah well so that that was the thing when i re, uh announced my retirement from road and kept racing cross everyone's like you said you were retiring and i said i was retiring from road not cross you know? okay okay so it was hard for people to sort of separate the two and yes even so uh cyclocross worlds in 2016 so january february where whatever the exact date it fell i don't remember but um that was my last like professional race period my it was my last professional cyclocross race it was the last time i've ever competed where you know there was a contract uh in hand and of course since then i mean i've done a lot of gravel i've still done a lot of local cross races and stuff like that and yes the us open of cross here in, in boulder i can't yeah i guess i just hopped into that and when i finished fifth and you know wasn't really training but it it literally i can ride to the course in 10 minutes so it was like of course i'm gonna do this you know yeah. i was still and actually when i so in 2017 I ended up, I, I got a job at Rafa because they mm -hmm. had just opened a store here in Boulder. Yep. And my job was community activations events and, and ride leading. So actually for like the first, so 2017, 2018, I probably was riding my bike more those years than I was when I was racing. It just wasn't like 
specified intervals and stuff like that. It was, you know, group rides, but I was riding a lot. And sure. so I was like, Which I'm that's, still that's pretty much an interval session. Any group ride, yeah, you yeah. don't care what kind of group ride it is. There's, yeah. uh, it's always an interval, especially if you're leading it because you have to like, oh, yes. everybody together. Yes. Um, yes. So you're like trying to tell, you know, Joe Schmo to, Hey, uh-huh. calm down, uh-huh. please. Like this is supposed uh-huh. to be a coffee ride. And then you're like trying to pick up the person who like, is making it an extra coffee ride <laughs> and is totally. angry at Joe up the yeah. road. Yes. Oh, you, you nailed it. That, so, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know how that works. And so, yeah. and so, yeah. And then in 2018, you, you, I, I bet you didn't think I was going to bring this up. You became national champion in uh, single speed cross. Uh, yeah. Um, I was like, champion of what? Yes. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yes, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so was that like you over a beer and you were like this kind of the same deal with you saying, Hey, I've retired, but it's 10 minutes down the road. Like wh- what were you like working for Rafa? And you were like, Hey, you don't have to work the booth during this time. It's single speed. You know, you can just go ride. And it's like, Oh, cool. I'll just race. Like, how did that come about? Well, so some good friends of mine are Liz and Aaron Barczak, who own Mosaic. Uh-huh. And built company in Boulder. And they've, you know, they've been racing uh single speed for years. And, you know, and oh, I'm gonna be at nationals, but I don't necessarily to I don't think I'm fit enough at that point now to to race, you know, the elite women's race, but Hey, it would be fun to do a single speed race in Mosaic. I, I got a bike from Mosaic. They gave me a single speed bike and, and I was there doing commentary anyway. So I was like, well, if I'm going to be here, I might as well do it. I think, I think that actually might've been my first, maybe my sec, maybe I did one single speed race here locally before going to nationals. So it was like totally new to me to be on a single speed bike. And, yeah. um, yeah, somehow pulled it off. I mean, Sarah, Sarah Sturm was definitely giving me a run for my money. And obviously the role, the, the places switched the following year when I was chasing her through the mud in Kentucky, but, um, and yeah, now she's leagues ahead of me, but, um, yeah. So it was just kind of like on a sort of a whim of like, Hey, I, uh, mosaic was like, if you, if we give you a bike, you want to do this? I'm like, sure. Why not? So no, the mosaic guys are awesome. I, I met those guys yeah. in an event. They were just like, Hey, um, or a, a buddy of mine was like, Hey, we're going to go ride the most climbing in Boulder. Have you heard about this? Oh, yeah. You do, you do yes, as yes, much yes. climbing as you can. Yep in the littlest amount of miles, I think is what it is. In the right? shortest amount of miles. Yep, exactly. Shortest amount of distance. Like, yeah. And uh, I they, remember yep. insane. And they yeah, like, wanted yeah. to slam beers in the middle of it. Yeah, right. We have this, uh, like in our group of friends, whatever we have, we, we joke around that you've just been bar checked. Yeah. So when you, you they're like, hey guys, you want to go out for a ride? And then like six hours later, you've done, you know, 10,000, 12,000 feet of climbing and unplanned. Like no yeah. one had planned on doing that. We thought, okay, yeah, let's just meet at the coffee shop. We'll go out for, you know, a little ride. And then, yeah, hours and many feet later, you're like, holy shit, we just got bar checked. Well, I, it's good to know that both of us have been bar checked at some point yes. in this podcast. We actually and- even have patches. That oh, man. I didn't get those. 
They yes. said they were going to redo this ride soon, but they they were going to let okay. me know when they did it. It was a lot of fun because like we we essentially did the ride and we still had like an hour and a half to go, but we stopped at his new house. It was like this A-frame oh. house or whatever. Yeah. And like yep. they were drinking beer and like, <laughs> I was like, guys, we still got to get home. And uh, oh. I just wasn't used to that yet. Um, no, but anyways, no. so after we just got went over on how legendary you are all the way from retiring and winning a national championship my next question for you is do you kind of like do you kind of wish you stuck with it a little longer or do you feel like you ended at a good time because i always wonder like you know if the the model has switched like the sponsorship model and you're you're seeing it because you're in with shimano now but the sponsorship model has switched so much that it went from if you weren't on united healthcare cal giant um these big teams you weren't getting support so everybody was vying us for a spot for a team now people have if you're on a team you're not getting support it's almost better to just do it on your own and so a privateer yeah yeah the whole privateer model but um so what's your thoughts on that and then the insurgence of gravel like i think dude you would have killed it you know like so what's i yeah. mean you did this year and i mean yeah. you're technically retired and so what like what's your thoughts on on that and like kind of the way the sponsorships models are going and do you think it's here to stay yeah um good questions so i think when i retired i i was ready to retire okay. um part part it's funny because i actually why i I watch races now. I'm going to watch. I cannot wait to watch the women race Paris-Roubaix on Saturday. Yeah, that's going to be so, so cool. Yeah. And and like, so Paris-Roubaix and Strada Bianchi are the two races that I feel like, dang it, God, I missed those two races, you know, yeah. missed the, yeah, they just weren't around when I was racing. But I, so when I watch races, I'm like, could I still do that? God, that's still so much fun. Like, I yeah. love racing my bike. God, I love racing my bike. But the the training, I was just like, oh, I can't go do another interval. Yeah. I still ride my bike, but I do not need to do intervals anymore. And so the motivation to like train properly, to be able to race competitively was definitely waning. Um, I've had some, you know, back, I'm still dealing with back issues that are getting worse yeah. um, as I age. And, you know, so that made it more difficult to race, particularly cross, because it's so, so hard on your body. Sure. So I think I was, you know, I was ready. I was also in my 40s. And yeah. I was like, God, I have got to figure out what I'm going to do next or else I'm going to be so far behind. And I mean, this is a, a, you know, a topic maybe for another conversation, but like retiring is, is hard. Because yeah. I mean, if you don't know exactly what you're going to do next, you've identified as being this kind of person, this, you know, professional athlete, cyclist, whatever it is for so long. And then you're like, okay, well, what am I now? You know? Yeah, no, I um, think that's a topic for now. Like, that's kind of what I was trying to ask. And, and because we've had so many people on this podcast of like, did you retire how you wanted to retire? Is kind of my question. And like, yeah, um, yeah. or like, cause a lot of people or some people are forced to retire. Like, you know, mm -hmm. they just don't have the same support as they used to. And, mm -hmm. and they'll go on and they'll say, Hey, you know, like I, I retired because I wanted to retire. They want to make yeah. sure that it's in their yeah. way, but like, I guess more or less, I want people to know, like I, I, I have several friends who, 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 yeah, they, they essentially quit the sport lost. 
more or less. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. And I, I do think, I do feel that I retired when I, on my terms. Good. Uh, and I think that's why I still enjoy riding and racing because I did stop on my own terms. I wasn't forced to stop. I mean, with Noosa, the plan was that I was going to retire and become more man, take on more of the management role for the team. Alan would keep racing. We'd bring on another female. Um, and then Noosa ended up pulling sponsorship. So actually had I not decided to retire, I might've had to anyway, because, you know, we were losing yeah. them as our, our sponsor. Um, but still I had made the decision before that. And so I was, I was fine. I was felt good about my, my decision. I just didn't know exactly what was next. I kind of dabbled in some things in 2016 and it wasn't until moving to, you know, Rafa, starting with Rafa in 2017, that I felt like, okay, I actually have a plan. I feel good about this. I'm still connected to the cycling community. I'm still riding my bike. I'm technically still getting paid to ride my bike, yeah. you know? So, and you know, what, what my, my team, sort of my extended cycling family, you know, all the racers that we, I would see every weekend that those people just shifted until into this new community community of people I was riding with through Rafa every weekend, you know, whether they were local to Boulder or they were coming in for other events or whatever it was. And so in that sense, I didn't feel like I had lost a lot. It was more, um, you know, and, and probably those first couple of years that I was riding so much with other people, I, I don't know if I maybe experienced that sense of loss right away. It was more as I started to uh, do more work in front of the computer and, yeah. and admin kind of stuff that I was like, wait, I don't get to go ride my bike today. I need to yeah. sit here and do work. And, and, but I still want to go race maybe on the weekend, but I can't do that anymore. I'm not as fast or whatever it is, you know, sure. and, and for me also starting a new career in my forties was challenging because a lot of my coworkers, my peers were much younger than me, yeah. you know, but we were all starting at the same kind of, and not quite entry level, but you know, not, I wasn't like a vice president or anything, whatever. No, and, your boss, and, your boss was younger than you. Is yeah, that, that yeah, 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 yes, yes. And so, you know, that I definitely have struggled with that off and on, still do sometimes, you know, when I'm like, oh my God, I'm, you know, 15 years behind. Um, well, and do you, and, and, and so my question to you is, cause like I've worked in the industry as well. Um, I was the young guy in the industry when I started, but I was, you know, when I started in, you know, I worked for Giordana and, and worked for, um, couple other companies and like the warehouse and stuff like that. And I always got looked yeah. at the young guy and, uh, you know, I could never do anything cause I was the young guy. Right. Did they don't want the yeah. young guy to mess anything up. Um, <laughs> but do you ever, do you ever feel like, you know, and, and I don't want you to make a mention of any companies, but like there's people like the younger guys and like, did this affect you is essentially like the young people that almost, cause there's a lot of people in the industry that don't race bikes. And so like mm -hmm. you have this mm -hmm. experience with the athletes and that's what I think is so mm -hmm. cool about your position now, because, mm -hmm. it, and I think I know your position after we had a connection uh, via email, but you essentially work with athletes at Shimano now, right? Yes. Yeah, so, I'm sports marketing. And so yeah. as an athlete, as a past athlete as well, you know what an athlete wants, you know what an athlete needs mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. 
that, that I think is great. Whereas, you know, me as an athlete, I've worked with athlete representatives that were only looking out for the brand, never really understood what the athlete might need. And so do you feel like that's ever happened to you in the industry where somebody's kind of giving you orders and they're like, well, that's not how cycling works. Has that ever happened? <laughs> well, no, no. Is I that mean, a I weird question? Rafa, <laughs> no, no. Um, I would say at Rafa that part of, part of why I was hired and part of the value that I brought to the company was my experience, my, my long history, you know, in the sport, my experience as not just an athlete, but also as a, a team owner yeah. and, you know, in the, and the organization that required the, the marketing skills that required, you know, it's like being sort of a privateer, you know, uh, team owner, I had to learn a lot of things and, yeah. and, and I had learned a lot of things, you know, about myself and, and, um, built a lot of skill sets along the way that I probably didn't actually recognize. And it took other people saying, Meredith, look at all of these things that you've done. You've built mm. a brand, you've built a team, you, you know, you manage this, you organize that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I would say I'm not very good at recognizing my strengths, but um, I noticed that at the beginning at of the podcast out my when I called you a legend <laughs> and you you tried to correct me. Yeah, I noticed that. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, um, but uh, yeah, so I think that all, for all those reasons, you know, that was why I brought value to Rafa, and you know, and and I think that they actually appreciated that, and and it's also what led to this job at Shimano That's cool. um, because, you know, because of my experience and long history in the sport and, um, you know, so I, I brought a lot of different skill sets and a lot of knowledge to the table. So as this, you know, road sports marketing specialist at, at Shimano. So um, keep, I just keep building on everything that I had learned when I was racing and turning it into, you know, this career in marketing now, which I went to college. I, I got my master's degree in exercise science. Yeah. So never did I think that I would end up in marketing, but just through the years of, of being a cyclist and, you know, you brought up the whole, um, you know, topic about, if you were on UHC, you were, you know, kind yeah. of a shit, whatever. And then, and then it's transformed and it's evolved into like, no, actually you need to know how to build a brand, you know, and market yourself. And, and that started to happen while I was still racing for sure. Yeah. Not to the same degree that it is now, but those were some of the skills that I did have to, you know, learn towards the end of my career. And that's what kind of, you know, tra helped me transition into these other roles. Of, well, I think that's I really I think that's what folded UHC, if I'm being honest. Like, I think it was a lot of, and there, there, there's probably other shit that I don't know about that folded UHC as well. But I think, because yeah. uh, I used to have a roommate here who's on United Healthcare, and uh, you know, he he could not be fucked to post a picture <laughs> like just. Yeah. Like, man, like when it came to Instagram, he thought it was the dumbest thing in the world. <laughs> and so yeah, he yeah. was like, he was like, yeah, man, they would come to us and they would like want us to do these photo things. And I'm like, look, we'll just win all the crits. Like, there's your photo. What else do you want, man? <laughs> yeah, <you never laughs> it's, and it's funny. What do you want? My hands are in the air, like yeah. crossing the line. What more can I do? <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it's so funny, like hearing that conversation and it's like, yeah. But, and then, then they were even telling us that sometimes we needed to quit stacking the podium. 
and they oh, were, yeah. and he was like, what? Yeah. Like, we have to quit. He's yeah. like, yeah, they, we needed to let other people win because what would happen was, is it would just be a UHC entirety podium and it didn't look that serious or that clean. And it was right. just funny. It was well, funny yeah. listening to that. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, yeah. So when I was, when I was racing still on the road, we actually, you know, were required to, or we were asked to post, I don't remember exactly what it was, a certain number of times per month. And if we didn't hit that quota, we would be fined. And that was, wow. I thought, a very backwards way of, you know, again, this is early on in social media, right? This yeah, is, yeah. this was Instagram days. This was Twitter. And, you know, that I think looking back now, you, I, well, even then that was a backwards way of doing it instead of penalizing you incentivize. Right. Yeah. Um, and, but still not everybody, not every athlete is going to, that's not everybody's strengths. That's not why people For get sure. into sport. Right. And so it, it's definitely a hard line, um, a hard balance. And some people are really good at it. And some people are, you know, just natural. And some people, it really takes some time to learn or they just will never get it. And I don't, it's, I don't fault them for that because again, that's not why they're in sport, you know, however, especially in the position I'm in now, like it is important. And that's what brands are looking for is, you know, the, I mean, for me personally, and, and I think Shimano as a brand, first and foremost, we want to work with good people. Um, and, and then second to that, you know, is like, um, we want you to be able to connect, you know, our athletes to be able to connect with their different communities and, and help get, tell the story about bikes, get more people on bikes, you know? And so yeah. does that mean you're winning every race? No. I mean, is that helpful? Is that a bonus? Yes. But like, really, how can you express your passion and, um, you know, your desire and your love for the bike and, and breach other people in the community. And that's, you know, what we're looking for. I've done a media day and it takes a whole training day away. It's like, yeah. it's, it's, and so it's hard. And it uh, I guess my last question on this topic, cause I don't want to, you know, we only got a few more minutes, but I don't want to take up too much of your time. The, do you think that with the way we've gone, do you think it's, do you think it's pushed some people out of the sport that were good athletes? Because because I think you're onto something in the sense of, I, I actually had a conversation with an individual who gave me a hard time for my media, like made fun of me for it. And it's like, look, I just come from a different background. Like I win bike yeah, races. Yeah. That's what I do. And yeah, if you want to yeah. post podcasts to make money, then that's on you, but that's not, I'll never yeah. do that. So do you think it's yeah. pushed some of the good athletes out? A hundred percent. And I, and one example um, that I'll use is Amanda Miller. Uh, she was a, a road racer, a cross racer. She finished second at cross nationals in Hartford. So I think 2017 and she is not a great marketer. You know, she's not, she's not out there to build her brand. She's not screaming and yelling, Hey, look at me. I was second at, you know, whatever, or for sure. Posting on Instagram all the time, whether it's beautiful photos or just this, you know, heartfelt story or whatever it is. And she ended up not having a team for the next season and stopped racing. And she was incredibly talented. Um, I mean, that year in Hartford, it was like ice. It was just an ice rink, you know, and she was second to Katie and, um, you know, and so it just took a lot of skill and strength and, and she was great on the road too. And, you know, 
but because she wasn't like this great brand ambassador, you know, she wasn't able to find that next team. And, and maybe that's not all of it, but I think that was a big part of it. And so, you know, it was a shame that a talented athlete like her, you know, ended up leaving the sport early. And I'm sure there's countless other, you know, um, individuals that have the same story. Yeah. And it's, so it's, it's hard because, you know, I do think that there's kind of this, like, okay, if you're this athlete, who's winning all the time. Are you able to like, do you get a little more leeway on the social media side? Because your story is that you're a badass and you're winning all these races. Um, on the flip side, on the other end of the spectrum, if you're not winning races, you better know how to tell a damn good story, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I feel like it's the one kind of in the middle that, uh, you know, are struggling to find out, to figure out exactly where they, they land, you know, yeah. and what is, what is it that they're pitching to any potential sponsors, you know? So when you go out as a privateer, which as, you, as we mentioned is becoming more and more prevalent, um, because brands I think are, well, especially on the gravel side, because that's just where brands are migrating because it's the gravel segment is growing so fast. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the people, individuals who are pitching to these brands have to have a pretty good story and whether that's like, okay, I'm racing, but I also put on another race, you know, I put on a grand Fondo or I put on, you know, whatever it is, or what is it, what else are they doing in their community to, to, to get more people on bikes, you know? Um, so that's kind of where it is now. And is that gonna, I think it's here to stay for a little while. I mean, as no, we know, the, the bike industry shifts, you yeah. know, a lot. And so I think we're kind of riding this particular wave right now. What's the next wave going to be? I don't know. But yeah, who knows? I mean, and it's almost like trying to buy Bitcoin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah, seriously, right? it is. I mean, like, yeah. like I felt like I bought into Bitcoin slash gravel um, when everybody else was already doing it. And so like you're pitching yeah. these ideas and you're like, this is a crazy cool idea. And it's like, it's been done. Cool. See you next year. Uh, make sure you know where to drop off your resume. And I'm just like, crap. All right, cool. And then she yeah. go back to the drawing board and you know, you're on this whiteboard and you're like trying to figure it out. And so, you know, we had Canyon on the podcast and, and, and they'll be next week after yours, but we kind of had that same conversation of like, what are they looking yeah. for? And it changes every year. It's like, you know, sometimes they're mm -hmm. looking for mountain bikers. Sometimes they're looking for women. Sometimes they're looking for this yeah. and they're looking for that. And so it, you got to make sure that you're kind of coming in at the right time. And I mean, there's some brands that I've been talking to for the last four years and you just get pushed away, pushed away, and you're just like right on that cusp. And then finally they're right. like, right. we need you now. And then you go that route. Yeah. But yeah. anyways, yeah. um, well, and real quick, I just want to add that. Like, yeah, yeah. I think particularly in this, in the pandemic, pandemic is when you saw the athletes who are really good at storytelling and at, at brand management, they're the ones who really shot, you know, shined shown. I don't know. No, <laughs> during the, you know, during, yeah. During yeah. like 2020, when there were no events and people weren't racing, it was like, okay, well, what can I do to continue to add value to, for my sponsors? And the ones who were, were creative and figured out other, whether it was Everesting or, some crazy bike packing trip or whatever, you know, that was still going to add value without the racing. Um, and I think that the ones who were able to find that story were really successful at it. And that's, um, honestly, I feel like that's probably what helped the sport grow too, because other people 
realized, oh, well, I can do that. Yeah. You know, I don't, I'm not, I'm not ever going to win, you know, unbound 200, but I can go ride my bike for overnight for a couple of days or, you know, okay. Everesting, certainly not everyone's going to do that, but no, like, thank you. you know, they were doing things that a lot of people could relate to, you know, that were attainable, reachable. And, um, and so those, those athletes, you know, really rose to the top and, um, found ways to continue to add value for their sponsors. It was interesting how big the shift was, I think, like just with everybody in, in, in 2020. I mean, if you weren't, especially if you were a privateer, you were like trying to start something. If you weren't trying to figure out ROI, because it, it wasn't like the brands that you were working with couldn't support you because it was that classic, like, um, we didn't know what was going to happen. There was like the classic two months where we thought everybody was going to go out of business. There was never going to be a race again. <laughs> yeah, and then, that was the opposite. Then we got to a point where it's like, okay, you're not going to see product until 2023 <laughs> because we've sold out of everything. And so yes. it's, it was nuts because it was like, and I don't know if we think Trump and Biden for stimulus checks and like, I, I guess all everybody's stimulus, even people that don't ride bikes just bought Shimano parts. Yeah. I don't know, you know, yeah. <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, like, I think, I think if you weren't a brand trying to find ROI at the end of the season to go, Hey, look, I'm sorry. I didn't race. I'm sorry. I went into this. I could have done better, but here's what I did do. And here's what mm -hmm. I want to do. I think because like, yeah, I, I had this whole van idea and we literally just wrapped it the like the day before mid-south i went to mid-south to yeah. do this whole vlog van life thing and then i did one vlog at mid-south and i even remember talking about it in the vlog and like talking about covid what's covid we're still racing we're <laughs> loving it you know and then literally yeah. like the next day the whole oh. world shuts down and then i'm like crap i'm gonna lose everything <laughs> and then right? this podcast oh, started yeah and so but anyways yeah Speaking of vans, that's one of the whole reasons why I wanted you on. And so real quick, <laughs> real, real quick, you're building a van. What kind of van yes. and where did this, where did this desire and passion come from? I know it's a big popular thing here in the, in the yeah. cycling world and space right now, but uh, yeah. yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So we, my husband and I got a Sprinter van in uh, last summer. Sweet. And it, I guess it just came from like wanting to just be able to do spontaneous trips. I will admit I'm not the best tent camper because mm, I, gl I glamper like is what my wife calls it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. 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 As I mentioned, I have a bad back, so I don't love sleeping on the ground. <laughs> right on. Um, doesn't work well for me. So I was like, okay, well, if we want to be able to go just pick up and go places, we need a van. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so we, um, yeah, we, we traded in our a truck and got a van and, and like, we jumped in pretty quickly. Sweet. It, it was a shell. Like it was a shell. I mean, the, the front end was fine, but the only thing that was in the van was a floor. Right. So we drilled out the side of the van to install the windows. Okay. Like, yes, making that first cut in a side of, you know, this Mercedes, we were like, oh my God. There's like, no turning back. It was probably shaking. Right. You so either we, raise we the value or lower the value all in like 10 <laughs> seconds. So, oh, yeah, totally. Uh, what's the saying? Measure, measure three times cut once or whatever it is. But anyway, yeah. um, so we installed 
you know, windows, we put in a fan and then, you know, the, the roof, we put on a solar panel and like, we were like doing a lot of work, but it was, it's still to the point where like, when you open the van, we still don't have a bed. Um, we don't have like the galley or anything like that, that we'll eventually have, but we have, I mean, my husband has put so many hours into this van like oh, yeah. electrical he, he has the electrical panel built out which he has rebuilt because he's also a perfectionist and it just it, he didn't like it the first time so he reorganized it all what's his background it, he, oh he i mean he grew up in vermont on you know a lot of acreage his dad built their house so yeah. you know he's okay just, so he's just a handy right he's, he's just a handyman he can and he can figure out anything. However, he knew nothing about electrical. Mm. So everything that he's done in the van, like on the electrical side, he learned it through YouTube or a friend of, you know, friends of ours who've built out vans and done their own electrical work or a friend of ours who's an electrical engineer. And I mean, so not only has he put hours like in the van itself, but spent countless hours on YouTube. You know, it's like every time, he, you know, I look over, he's watching a different video or something, learning how to, That's like awesome. right now, one of our, you know, bigger windows on the, the driver's side, you know, you need to, we've got most of the paneling up, but to get the paneling up around this bigger window, you have to have like, um, uh, how do I explain it? Like, a, like kind of like a rim, you know, like around style, the window. Like rim? Are you talking about that? Well, it's like, you know, it probably sticks out a couple inches. Okay. Otherwise, when you put the paneling on, you're just going to have this gap between ah, the panel okay, okay, and, the, okay. and the window itself. Um, and so, you know, like, how do you build that? Right. So he's watching <laughs> videos on how to build, you know, this kind of rim that needs to like go around the perimeter of this window. I mean, so it's, it's, it's all sorts of stuff, but he is, I mean, I try to help as much as I can. I, I like, I want to be a pro part of the process. So I'm always asking like, what can I help? What can I, how can I help? You know, and I'm, he, it's more, more usually like, can you go get me that screwdriver? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, um, can you get me that uh, tool or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. So I'm not necessarily doing a whole lot. I'm kind of like the, the nurse in the operating room, just getting the tools for the surgeon, but <laughs> no, no, I get it. it's been fun. Yeah. No, see, I, um, my wife is the handy woman of the family. I, uh, uh, I can work on a bike. I can do all those kinds yeah. of things, but my patience level is really yeah. low. And so, um, luckily I had contravans build out my entire van and I just like didn't yeah. do anything with it. And so, yeah, I, uh, I can't handle, can't handle the handyman stuff. So hats off to the hubby, yeah. um, big time award because yeah, oh, it's, yeah, it's one of those things that I, I, no, no, can't do it. I'll ruin it. hundred percent ruin it. Um, yeah. I don't even, I don't even cut my fork, which you guys know, like that, that to me stresses me out. I can do it. I know how to do it. I've done it before. Right. I did it in a bike shop for a long time, but again, yeah. it stresses me the fuck out. Can't oh yeah. No, it is stressful. And trust me, he gets stressed. I get stressed. We get stressed, but like, but what's the worst that can happen? And, the only yeah. thing that can happen, you know, you just ruin an $80,000 van and yeah, you know, no big right? deal. So no big no deal. Big deal. But, uh, anyways, but on the flip side, like, well, 
at this point, I hopefully don't think we're going to ruin anything because we've made all the cuts and everything. <laughs> I was we need about to, to say, yeah, you've done all the hard stuff. It sounds like. Yeah. Right. And now I think we're on the other side where if we wanted to, we could sell it for a lot more. Yeah. Well, yeah, not that we want to do that, but yeah, you've done the hard part and like the part that people don't want to do. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, the amount of videos that you see where it's just like, all right, we're about to cut a hole. Here it goes. Uh -huh. you know? uh -huh. And so, yeah, you've done the hard part, but anyways, yeah. you know, last question, which I prepped you before, before, and in the hopes that you would think about it, but I know you didn't because we've been talking this whole time. If you could have a cup of coffee with one individual dead or alive, who would that individual be? Why would you have coffee with that individual? And what would be your coffee of choice? Um, so when you first asked me that, I was like, oh, my God, oh, I hate this question. However, <laughs> I, have, I have come up with an answer. And okay. it's, I think maybe it's just because it's been right in front of me. I just finished All In by Billie Jean King. Okay. And I think right now in this moment, that's who I would say I would love to have a coffee with. I mean, she's clearly very relevant in everything that's going on in the world right now um within women's sport so i would god i mean the things that she endured as a female athlete and then the things that she pushed for and the doors that she opened and the ways in which she created change and you know towards equality for women in sport is just I mean, it's pretty phen phenomenal. I, I certainly learned a lot reading her book. That's cool. And there's just a lot that I would love to sit down and, and pick her brain about. And and I mean, not uh, yeah, just learn how to continue the conversation. And, um, you know, and she did it in ways where I think in women's sport, the hard thing with that women have faced is when we're pushing for equality and change is that um, people might see us coming across as whiny. And it's mm -hmm. like, what, you don't appreciate what you've been given? It's mm -hmm. like, whoa, you know? And so I think that Billie Jean helped um, helped navigate the, the narrative and how to um, actually talk about that in a way that maybe didn't come across as, as whiny or whatever, but just like, no, we're, we're human beings, whatever, you know, whatever it was. So I just, I, yeah, I think it would be fascinating to be able to sit down with her. And, and also she, I'm now about to read, you know, Nelson Mandela's book. And so it's like just kind of snowballing into all these other no, things yeah, that she cool. talked about people that she met. So we'll see. Yeah. And that's why, that's why I never, I usually never prep somebody for that question and the reason is is because i would i want an authentic answer in the moment because tomorrow you'll probably want to have coffee with nelson mandela you yes know I, mean? yeah, I know i actually was like which one do i choose but i'm and gonna say billy jean since i've already read her book nelson mandela's book is next that's why i do that and so yeah. with this individual you don't drink coffee so would you have tea or would you do your signature cocktail Oh, I would do a signature cocktail, which is, uh, it's a cap, it's called a captain. So oh, we okay. actually found the recipe on the back of a bitters bottle. So it's gin. Okay. It's, uh, lime juice, maple syrup and egg white, um, you know, to create that like crema, whatever that yeah, yeah. Um, on top. Oh man, they're dangerous. That sounds they're good. Yeah. So tasty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a gin sour. Kind I was of. about to say, it's almost like a whiskey sour, just gin yeah. sour. Okay. It's yeah. called the captain. Yeah. So like, could I order yeah. that at a bar and they would kind of know what you I'm know, talking about? Or is it something you made? 
Well, like I said, it was a recipe on the back of a bitters bottle. So oh, it, we didn't create so it has to be a thing. Yeah, I would think maybe Is it Worcestershire I sauce and everything. Uh, no. no, 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 nothing okay. like that. Um, so I don't know if that's a common name for this particular cocktail, like, but it's easy enough to describe. I mean, there's only a handful of ingredients that every bar would have. So yeah, yeah, no, just so you, you know what the recipe is, you can tell them gin sour instead of a whiskey sour. No, yeah. that's sick. Um, yeah. well, Meredith, thank you so much for your time. Like, yeah, can't thank you enough. And like I said, it's really cool to kind of hear your story where you came from. And I mean, I can even still kind of tell that you're competitive, you know, and so it's, it's really cool to have you on. And like I said, cause I remember, you know, they called you up to the line, you rode at the front with us pretty much the entire time. I think, you know, yeah. you were one of the first women to finish, like you, you still have that competitive drive. So it's really cool to see, like, even though you're, you know, kind of done and, you know, retired and doing your own thing. And so. It's cool. I, I really yeah. appreciate that. I respect that. I think you're doing great things for the sport. And uh, yeah, guys, if you haven't already, please make sure you check out Meredith Miller's social media. You can check out Shimano. You can check out Rafa. I'm going to put all that stuff down in the description below that we talked about. And uh, yeah, we will uh, see you next time. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was great chatting with you. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers.